Explorable is a podcast about travel, disability, and inclusion. I'm Josh Loebner, Director of Strategy at Design Sensory. I'm co-host Toby Willis, Senior Product Manager for Inclusive Technology and President of the Ability Inclusion Movement at Expedia Group. We're both blind. And we love everything travel. This is Explorable. We interview experts, advocates, and allies of tourism, destinations, and disability to make each journey more explorable. Everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Explorable, the podcast where we connect with guests who share about how they make their destinations more explorable to people with disabilities everywhere. Well, Toby, before we introduce our guest, I want to ask you, um, have you ever been to the happiest place on earth? I have actually been to um, two of the happiest places on earth, uh, both in Orlando and California. So a little bit about my background for everybody listening. I grew up in Anaheim, California, and was about three minutes from Disneyland and uh, went to Walt Disney Elementary School. So I've been a fan of Disney, and I think that gives everybody a hint of who we've got on for the show today. Everybody, please give a great uh, welcome to Mark Jones. Mark is the Manager of Accessibility and Services for Guests with Disabilities for the Walt Disney World Resort and uh, other Disney Resort properties. And, and I'm not gonna dive into Mark's background. I'd love for Mark to share a little bit about how he connects with people with disabilities and, and makes Disney more explorable. Welcome to the show, Mark. Josh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to join both you and Toby on the show today. You're, you're from Tennessee, correct? Correct, yes. I am a Tennessee graduate. I went to high school in Knoxville as well. Mm -hmm. I lived in uh, Nashville for a few years as well, so I, uh, I'm familiar with some of the uh, smaller towns in the area. I think my favorite is still, uh, let's see, uh, Batcave. Is that still in Tennessee? I think so. Uh, and I think Hohenwald mm -hmm. is another great town name, which is kind of south of Nashville. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I get a chance to go back every now and then and see some uh, some friends. So it's always a pleasure to get over there. The little town I grew up in in Chester County is called Sweet Lips. Okay. Oh, you can look yeah. it up. And what? Uh, near near to Sweet Lips is Frog Jump and Lizard Lick. That, so we have that's some great. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's yeah. some good towns. <laughs> some interesting some good town. towns in the area for sure. <laughs> no, none as good as Toad Suck, Arkansas, though. Just outside. Oh goodness! Of well, they, 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 I think they win. Wow! Oh yeah. my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Tell us a little bit more, Mark. Really about your your background at Disney, and maybe kind of what a day in the life of of your job is, and how you help people with disabilities connect better with with the Magic Kingdom and the other properties. Of course, happy to do that. So uh, I just celebrated, Josh, my 23rd year as a full-time cast member at, uh, at Disney. Uh, and I've had a, a, a great journey, lots of great opportunities over those 23 years. But my, uh, my passion or my connection to this work really started when I was a child. Uh, I am, for all of you who uh, love acronyms, I am uh, what's known as a CODA. So a uh, CODA, a child of deaf adults. So my parents are deaf. Uh, my only sibling, my brother Paul, he is also deaf, so I uh, am the only person in my family who is not deaf, uh, which meant growing up in uh, West Hartford, Connecticut is where I grew up, 
that meant um, sign language was the language of choice in our home. Um, ASL is how I communicated with my parents and my brother. Uh, my brother and my mother both went to the American School for the Deaf, which is in West Hartford, Connecticut, actually the first school for the deaf in the United States established uh, way back in 1817. So a lot of uh, passion and a lot of, uh, uh, you know, a history, if you will, uh, that was uh, part of my upbringing. Um, being in that town where deafness and deaf education sort of started, uh, that just sort of got me on the path. Uh, I will say from time to time, uh, perhaps kicking and screaming a little bit, my parents certainly leveraged me as their interpreter for many things. So when we would go to the doctor's office, we would go to wherever. Uh, this all predated the ADA. Uh, and although Connecticut was a fairly progressive state, um, still their ability to uh, get an interpreter was you know, a little few and far between. So I did that and served that role uh, as I grew up and it just sort of became a part of what I did. I also answered the phone at home when somebody would call. Um, so that was just part of my uh, my upbringing, and my father was very active in the deaf community. So we did a lot of events in and around New England that were for the deaf, and my dad was super passionate about having the whole family come along. So that was great. So that just sort of translated into uh, as I started thinking about what I wanted to do, um, you know, quote, as I got older, end quote. Uh, I started thinking about those opportunities. But like many children who had deaf parents, uh, the last thing I wanted to do when I was younger was to be an interpreter. I had already done that. I'd kind of checked that box in my head. But, um, I, oh, and I wanted to go into broadcasting. That's sort of where I wanted to be. Um, I think you might tell that I, I do have a, a bit of a knack for, for that. And uh, just people are always telling me, gosh, you sound like that guy on the radio. So I don't know if that's just sort of part of my upbringing from watching probably way too much TV. But, uh, but long story short, I went to the University of Tennessee, um, where I majored in broadcasting and communications, and I thought that's kind of what I wanted to do. But uh, while I was in college, I did a little sort of soul searching. I actually came upon an opportunity in college as well to uh, do an internship. And that internship was at Walt Disney World. So I interned in college at Walt Disney World in Orlando. Um, I worked uh, at the uh, what was the Disney Hollywood or Disney MGM Studios at the time, uh, today known as Disney's Hollywood Studios. I worked at an attraction that is near and dear to many Disney fans out there called the Great Movie Ride. And I worked at the Great Movie Ride uh, on two separate occasions, um, but it really sort of grew that passion for Disney. My grandparents um, lived in Florida while I grew up, so a lot of visits from Connecticut to Florida for vacation. Um, so there was a connection already for Disney. Um, I now had this internship opportunity, but I was still going to get into broadcasting. But then just some things happened, and I decided, you know what, I'm going to do something else. And then an opportunity to be an interpreter presented itself, and I thought, I can actually get paid to be an interpreter. That sounds great. So um, I did that for a little bit. I spent a year working as a professional interpreter, uh, got my certification as an interpreter, but um, still had that Disney craving, and uh, an opportunity presented itself um, where I was able to join a newly formed team called Services for Guests with Disabilities. Um, and that's the team that today I lead here at Walt Disney World. Um, so it's been quite a journey, as I said, uh, but it started uh, way back when. My passion started way back when with just my, my sort of family connection. So I know that was a super long answer to your question, but hopefully that adds uh, for the listeners just a bit more context about my, uh, my sort of passion around this work. Yeah, we love hearing the personal story, Mark, and thanks for sharing that. You know, us who live the disability experience uh, can more deeply empathize with our customers and guests and people who consume our products, and it gives us a, 
a, a great deal of insight into how we can make things more inclusive, especially for people with accessibility needs. And I, I know you hear from the community in your role. I'm sure you do. Um, so when you do hear from people with disabilities, uh, just, you know, kind of getting into the nuts and bolts of your day to day, what, what are you, what are you getting feedback on? Like what are the features or assistive technologies or, you know, guest services um, that, that people with disability guests with disabilities are giving you feedback on? Yeah, great question, Toby. So I'll also add along my Disney journey, I actually spent one year working at Disneyland Paris. Uh, and then I also spent um, seven of my years with the services for guests with disabilities, almost eight of those years, I spent actually at Josh, the Disneyland Resort. Um, so although I was physically based at Disneyland Resort, I was uh, providing uh, leadership for our services on both coasts. We've had some organizational moves and some things have happened in more recent years. So today, as we speak, my role is specific to the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, but I do have a counterpart at the Disneyland Resort who also manages the accessibility work there. And we chat multiple times a day and certainly want to make decisions in lockstep, also leveraging partners. So Toby, back to your question. Um, disability is a part of every conversation we have. Um, the big reason for that is, well, why not, right? So we're very much of the mindset, and I personally am very much of the mindset that accessibility leads to great experiences for any guest, including those with disabilities, but also for those without disabilities. You start taking out stairs, hey, guess what? That's great for everybody. You start taking out curb cuts, that's great for everybody. You start captioning monitors in your park, hey, that's great for everybody. So it's that kind of mentality that goes into our decision making. Um, I sometimes like to explain my role and my team's role um, using a Disney character. We're kind of like the Jiminy Cricket, if you will, of the company in that we're the conscience that provides insight and expertise when it comes to decision making around accessibility for the parks and resorts. Um, our segment that I report under, we, we, we got a super long name now, we're called Disney Parks Experiences and Products. You'll hear it referred to as that, or DPEP is the, sort of the acronym there. But um, we, are, we are constantly part of conversations when it comes to what we're looking to do in the future. We're also part of conversations of opportunities that are in front of us today. Um, guests, for example, who have unique questions about services that they may wish to leverage. We have great partners out there who communicate information to our guests. The website provides a lot of information, but even with those things, sometimes guests have very unique questions. So I and my team are able to kind of go one step further if we need to, to sort of further elaborate on specific services we have. And the services really run the gamut. I mean, when we talk about services, we, we always speak of sort of the five categories, mobility, hearing, visual, cognitive, sometimes called intellectual or developmental, and then we also have service animals. So those are the categories that we focus on when we're talking about services. The website reflects that information, and then that's that's what we kind of hone in on when we're thinking about a new experience. Like, hey, how are we going to check all those boxes service-wise for those different categories of guests with disabilities? I just, I appreciate you, Mark, pointing out that inclusive design is good design. I think that's really important for our listeners to understand that when you're starting your um, disability inclusion journey. Uh, this doesn't have to be a burden or uh, some, you know, add-on or retrofit. This is a mindset that we want for people to uh, shift their paradigm of thinking into, and that we 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 just want to make our products and services 
more accessible for everyone. And by focusing on those of us who need it the most, we inherently make our products and services better for everyone. So I appreciate that call out. Absolutely. And if, if I can just mention one thing, I think you all may have heard um, in any um, uh, Disney readings you might have done, if you've read a books about just the culture of working at Disney, we always talk about what, we, what we've historically called four keys. We've got safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. Those are the things our cast members are expected to do when it comes to interacting with guests and as we think about things. We've actually very recently added a fifth key, that is, is inclusion which has been really a key all along. We've just not made it front and center and pointed it out. So we've added now that fifth key of inclusion to um, ensure that we as a company are going in the direction, Toby, that you just referenced, which is inclusion for everybody, including guests with disabilities. That is fabulous. That fifth key. Wow. <laughs> That's a, uh... You know, I think there's, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but Walt Disney talked about Disney parks and the Disney philosophy always evolving and always changing. And so that's great to hear that it's continuing to change and, and be more progressive for people with disabilities and, and everybody from a diversity, equity, and inclusion standpoint. Absolutely. And I think you guys have probably done some reading. You know, there were some great ideas that seemed very appropriate when they were developed back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. And as time moves forward, you know, we want to move forward with some of those ideas and, and ensuring that we are being inclusive to everyone. So you've probably, for example, done some readings about Splash Mountain and how we're going to be rebranding that experience. Over the years, we've modified Pirates of the Caribbean, for example, the, the scenes within Pirates of the Caribbean. So there's always that sort of goal and drive to do that. Um, and we certainly don't claim to have everything figured out. But the good, uh, the part that makes me feel good is we're having the conversations and we have the right people having the conversations to make a good decision, not only a good business decision, but a good decision just uh, for our guests, for our cast. So I, I feel very proud, if you will, to be a part of this and on this journey and all these things that we're doing. And of course, the last year has added some new wrinkles into the fabric of kind of how we solve for things, but, um, but you know, always moving forward. Well, and, and, and that, to an extent, Mark, leads me into a question of of change when it comes to disability inclusion. You, early on, you shared some stories about personal stories, your family, and prior to the ADA, different things. And and we know, of course, so many things have evolved at Disney, and you've been at Disney for a, a, you know, a little while. Tell us about the evolution of conversations and commitments when it comes to disability, whether it's technology advances, whether it's uh, certain physical accessibility. What are some things that you've seen or been a part of to be able to welcome more people with disability over the years uh, at Disney Parks and Walt Disney World? So, Josh, when, when I started uh, uh, within the department, the, the ADA was still relatively new and a lot of the implementation was still sort of in progress. Uh, so at the time, our, our leadership took a pretty strong stand to the point of hey, we need a group of people who are going to focus on this. We're not just going to make accessibility a part of somebody's job in HR or somebody's job over here in a different department. We're going to create a team that focuses on accessibility, and that's what that team's going to do. So with that, the commitment was kind of right there out of the gate, uh, and that would have been you know, right around late 96, 97 that we made that decision to do that. So with that, the team then became started becoming a part of decisions moving forward when it came to ride design, ensuring that if we are able to design a ride vehicle that can accommodate somebody in a wheelchair, why would we not do that? I mean, unless it's just 
not possible because of just physics and, and, and safety, why would we not do that? About that time too, we said, why would we not want to provide sign language on a more regular cadence for our guests? Guests who are deaf travel like everybody else. I used to come every year with my parents. Why not provide them an opportunity to experience some of our shows and our attractions with an interpreter? Hey, captioning, captioning is a great service for everybody. So when, uh, when um, I started on this journey, we were talking about, well, what do we do with that? I mean, captioning a TV program, okay, a little bit more achievable. How do you caption a moving ride? How do you caption something like a Pirates of the Caribbean? So it was at that point, we developed our own internal way to caption moving experiences using a very early version of uh, like a, almost like a Palm Pilot, if you remember those from back in the day, and allowing technology at the time allow us to create those great experiences for our guests. If, if you guys would let me, by the way, I've got a pretty quick little story about that that I hope, hope is of interest to our listeners. So we have um, a, a portable piece of technology that provides three distinct services. It provides assistive listening, which is of course amplification for somebody with mild to moderate hearing loss. It also provides audio description for somebody who is blind or has low vision and describes in audio visual elements of an experience. The third service it offers is something called handheld captioning, which as the name implies, is a way we caption moving attractions for somebody who is deaf or hard of hearing. So when we were developing handheld captioning, we were the only people that had it. We weren't buying this from somebody else. We were kind of developing this in-house. So you know, we needed to troubleshoot and ensure that what we had was gonna be a good product. So we um, did testing, um, as we always do. That testing many times included cast members to come and experience uh, things and provide feedback. We have uh, a diversity group called Enable. Uh, that also previously known as Cast Able, but Enabled is, a, is one of our diversity groups that provides feedback on design as, as we uh, leverage them as sort of a business partner that's made up of cast members with varying disabilities. But at any rate, we were testing handheld captioning, and this was, I don't know, late, late 90s, I guess, something like that. Um, and the attraction that we happened to be testing at this time uh, was It's a Small World. So for those of you that don't know what that is, it's a very slow moving boat ride. It goes through various country scenes and those countries have little dolls dressed in traditional outfits. And there's this song that sort of plays throughout the ride. Very popular, you know, it was one of those World's Fair attractions that, that sort, of, sort of predated even Disneyland. So at any rate, um, we were testing handheld captioning and I had happened to have my brother, who I mentioned is deaf, in town. So I actually had him come and join me and I said, hey, I'm going to give you this piece of equipment. We're going to go on It's a Small World, and you're just going to kind of tell me what you think. So we begin our journey on It's a Small World, and uh, he's looking at the little screen, and it's, you know, captioning, and he's looking at the screen, and I'm making sure that it's doing its thing. And then I asked him about midway through, I said, hey, what do you think so far? And he looked at the screen and said, seems okay, but I think the one, this one you gave me is broken. And I was like, broken? All right. So we kept going, got to the end of the ride. And now I want the download. I want him to tell me his thoughts. So I asked him again. I said, so do you think people that are deaf are going to use this? What do you think? He's like, I think it's a great idea, but I think you need to fix this one because I think this one is broken. And it was literally as he said that, it was almost like he had like a eureka moment. And he literally said or signed to me, wait a minute, you mean it's the same song over and over and over and over again? 
Now I know why hearing people hate this ride. And I love It's a Small World Like the Next Guy. But as you know, that song sometimes gets in your head. This was the first time my brother kind of got it. I mean, I had told him about the song growing up, but he never really understood. But now he had this device that was captioning the essence of the experience and now he understood that that song was super repetitive. Yeah, equal access, uh, even if it's not the most pleasant experience. <laughs> um, I was thinking, um, Mark, I have a Disney quote on my um, one of my slides, that, and I'm going to have to paraphrase. I don't know if I can quote it, but it's it's something like, "Do what you do so well um, that you know people go tell their friends or something like that." And um, uh, I think that's it's uh, very poignant because, you know, Disney is really leaning into this space and, uh, and, and obviously doing it really well. And uh, so I'm wondering if you would mind sharing with our listeners um, who might be, you know, daunted by the idea of getting started because, you know, it's a big space that we're working in and with well over a billion people in the world, having unique experiences with disabilities, how, how do people, get started? What, what have you learned and what considerations can you offer to our listeners uh, to help them get started on their disability inclusion journey? It's a great, a great question, Toby. And, and one of the things that we talk about a lot um, internally and then externally when we talk with other partners that, that, that we have outside of, of, of Disney is focus on guest service and not compliance. If you focus on guest service, the compliance kind of comes with it. There are some businesses out there that unfortunately are so worried about what the rule book says and what the ADA calls for and all those kinds of things that they just get into the minutia of those kinds of things versus just saying, hey, what's the right thing to do for our guests? And again, that always checks the compliance box. So that's, I think, probably uh, my number one message for those partners out there who are beginning this journey. I think also be bold. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask for help. You've got a lot of partners out there. I mean, obviously, you've got a network of folks you work with. You've got big organizations out there like IAPA, which supports theme parks in general. You've got organizations out there like Disability Inn and some others, which leverage a lot of companies and what they're doing in the accessibility space. So don't be afraid to go and ask somebody else who's perhaps been on this journey a little bit longer to say, hey, this is what we've got in front of us. What do you think? Now, you know, we're in unique times now. Things are, you know, a little bit different. Um, and of course, there's always the, the part about funding. You know, sometimes people will argue, well, accessibility is expensive. And I think my answer to that is, well, no, not always. It could be, but it's not always expensive. Many times accessibility can be done for literally hundreds of dollars above and beyond what you might have budgeted. And if you're talking about a project that's hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, we're not talking about a lot of money. So in general, um, you know, don't worry about the finances. Yes, it's important. You know, you, you need to make sure that you're holding to your budget, but at the same time, um, don't, don't let that sort of talk yourselves out of something. And also be thinking about accessibility from the beginning. Don't let accessibility be the conversation that comes in when you're at 90% on something. You know, have it be like part of the blue sky. Hey, we're going to do this. Awesome. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Let's talk about accessibility now because that also dictates what makes sense moving forward. And at the end of the day, as I said earlier, accessibility in almost every situation benefits everybody. I mean, it benefits people without disabilities as well. Yeah, I love that you point out the um, the paradigm of thinking there, not not being compliance thinking, but being inclusion driven. 
because I believe that compliance-driven uh, uh, thinking leads – it's a race to the bottom. You know, you, you're just – uh, seeing how much you can do for how little money and just barely compliant, you know, but if we shift that paradigm to customer focus, inclusion thinking, uh, then we can begin to see a return on the investment. You pretty much answered this question and I don't think any of us really would think any different, but uh, Mark, what would you say to, to a business that might not think about welcoming people with disability? What's, what's the business case for welcoming people with disabilities? And I'm not sure if you have any, stats or, or numbers that show how many people with disabilities connect with Walt Disney World, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the business case for welcoming people with disabilities to attractions. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of that just lies in, in the statistics that we all have available to us. You know, you'll read some statistics that say one in five and others I've read say one in four people have a disability of some sort. So you're talking about a big percentage of the population that has a disability of some sort. So just with that, why would you not be thinking about that, right? So that, that I think kind of starts the conversation. And, you know, there are studies out there that also talk about how much disposable income people with disabilities have. And people with disabilities want to travel, and they're going to seek out places that they know, either by personal experience, by friends' experience, by acquaintance, by reading online. They're going to seek out those places that um, welcome them whatever their particular need might be, whether it's I need sign language interpretation, I need assistive listening, I want audio description, I want materials in braille, I wanna have an opportunity for my child with autism to have a great experience. I mean, those are all things people think about when they travel and as you both know and as your listeners all know, um, people with disabilities spend a fair amount of time preparing for a visit somewhere. So they're doing their homework. So a lot of it for us is getting the word out, letting people know what we offer and what we have, and then being able to get a little deeper if they have very specific questions. But, um, you know, that's, we know this is a market. It's an opportunity um, to, uh, you know, allow a much wider uh, number of people to visit Walt Disney World and Disneyland and our other properties around the world by ensuring that we are inclusive and that we're providing those attractions and experiences for people with disabilities. Thanks for that, Mark. And it's it's been so wonderful um, hearing from you. You're so articulate and and um, and passionate about this space, and I really appreciate it. And I think uh, you know before we wrap up here, I wonder if you could tell our listeners with disabilities who haven't yet visited um, a Disney property where they can get started learning about what um, accessible features and opportunities they might have available to them when visiting. Yeah, of course, Toby. So, um, you know, much like any business, we're always going to recommend that you start visiting uh, by visiting our website. So for a visit to Walt Disney World in Orlando, it is Disney World. Uh, it's literally uh, DisneyWorld.com. Um, you can also go to Disneyland.com if you're seeking to visit our partners on the West Coast, or you can just do a search of Disney, and then you'll be able to get either or. Um, but the website is a great place to start. We also have within our website at Walt Disney World, um, we have uh, something called My Disney Experience. My Disney Experience is sort of an app-based uh, option or tool that guests use once they actually arrive at Walt Disney World. So think of it almost as like your 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 uh, vacation planner that happens to be in a you know an electronic form and it allows you to do 
reservations. It allows you to look at maps. It allows you to get information about services. So it all kind of is found within the My Disney Experience app, which is another great resource. Uh, there are plenty of other more unofficial resources out there as well. Um, you know, some of those have great information. Some of those you might have to dig a little bit, but I know there's some great resources out there. We always have um, representatives available as well if you just prefer to pick up the phone and talk to somebody. Um, so 407-W-Disney on your phone rings to our, our reservations team and our guest information team, and they can help you with whatever that question might be. And if it becomes one of those questions that's a bit more unique, that maybe requires a little bit more assistance, that's where my team gets involved. So one of those representatives would say, hey, we have somebody on the phone. They have this very unique question. We've kind of perused our information. We don't know how to answer this. Would you be able to help them? So we do that on a pretty regular basis. So long short of it is, it's the planning um, with the website, the ability to call in um, as your primary uh, means for really preparing. And I think you all know this, but it's a big place. I mean, there's a lot of property here in Florida. So pre-planning in general makes a whole lot of sense, especially if you have a disability. Is just really plan ahead, just kind of winging it and showing up and saying, here I am. Um, probably going to lead you to maybe miss some things that you might otherwise want to do. And then, of course, in the environment we're currently in, we actually have a reservations system for park visits. So if you're looking to visit a particular theme park, you actually have to reserve your space um, to be able to visit that park on a specific day. So that's a little bit new, if you will, over the last few months. So just for your listeners' awareness, um, that's something that we're asking all guests to leverage is, hey, make sure you go ahead and book your visit but you also need to book where you want to go on which day because that's now something that, you know, has some, some maximum uh, capacity uh, tied to. One last question. It's a bit off the cuff. What, Mark, what's, uh, what's your favorite ride? Well, I, I would have told you in the past, Josh, the great movie ride. I really actually really enjoyed working there and it was a great experience and it's one that's really memorable to me. But I actually really enjoy Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, if I was to pick a ride, it's my favorite. I've had a chance to now ride three versions of Pirates. Uh, the one, of course, here at Walt Disney World, the one at the Disneyland Resort and the one at Disneyland Paris. And they're all familiar, but they all have their unique pieces and parts. And I just love that whole sort of mystique of that, that period and that time. I mean, if there's a Pirates of the Caribbean movie on TV, I'm probably going to watch it even if I've seen it 50 times. So that's just one of those things that I just have a, a real passion around. That's awesome. You're a man after my own heart, a pirate slot <laughs> for me as well. <laughs> Mark Jones, everybody. Thank you so much, Mark. On behalf of Toby, Brad, myself, and everybody at Explorable, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Explorable is a Design Century original production in collaboration with the Travelability Summit and produced by Brad Carpenter. Find out more about our productions, podcasts, and insights at designcentury.com slash originals and travelabilitysummit.com. You can connect with Josh Loebner or myself, Toby Willis, on LinkedIn.